You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Morning, church. Thank you, worship team. I'm sure everyone's going to be going through old backpacks this afternoon looking for some Christmas cash, including me. I'll be doing the same thing. God is faithful. He always provides, and we're thankful that he continues to provide a place for us to worship, to gather, um, to lift up his name high, to bring him glory. That's why we're here. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to... complete, finish the story, the cliffhanger from last week of crossing the Red Sea, uh, Israel being brought out, being delivered by God who chose them, who loved them, um, who wants to make a people out of them. And as he brings them out of the, the bondage of slavery into this new life of freedom with him, and which he will give them his law so they can live as a community and live with him, and ultimately they always have his presence and they move toward the promised land. We talked last week, this is really the gospel message. This is a foreshadowing of what's to come with the Lord Jesus Christ and how he made a way. He was the, the deliverer of all of us who believe in him by faith. And so we're going to just continue on in the same vein, so there'll be a little bit of crossover from last week. But hopefully, I've got a lot of feedback from last week that there was just an encouragement, there was a sense of um, God speaking to his people as it relates to all the things happening in this world, all the difficulties, all the struggle we've been going through, the the seeming darkness that has settled in when it comes to the political realm and just the fatigue that has taken place because of politics or COVID or whatever it might be. We're all kind of tired. There was a there was a lowness, a fatigue. And last week there was an encouragement to to stop fearing all of these things, to fear not to stand firm, right? To stand on solid ground, that God places us on solid ground, He gives us what we need, and to be still, to be silent and watch and see the salvation of the Lord. He's already taken care of these things. We know the end of the story, right? And we talked about the pages of the Bible are all about him and all the other characters, Moses and Joseph, and they're on for a little while and then they're off once we move to the next page, right? These are his people. He loves them. He loves us. He loves us uniquely. And yet at the same time, this is all for his glory. It's not about us. If you look at the beginning of the Bible, it starts with God, right? In the beginning, there was God. When we look at the end of the Bible, Jesus is coming back to repay, to redeem, to make all things new. It's about him, and we are the beneficiaries of his grace. And that's really what this story is. And so we'll continue on this morning, and uh, part of our service and our application at the end of our our sermon is is a baptism. We have three young believers who are being baptized this morning, and so we'll all get to celebrate and partake with them. Let me pray as we open God's word. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, for you, for your presence in our life, that you go before us, you never leave us. You never forsake us. Thank you for the promises in Scripture that are true because you have said them. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son to die on a cross so that anyone who would believe in him might have eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. 
It's a free gift, Lord. It's nothing that we can earn. And just as we watch the Israelites being saved from this great oppressor, this great enemy, this bondage, Lord, there's nothing that they did to save themselves. You did everything. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest in that, that you are sovereign. By your grace, Lord, through faith, we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning, Lord, for those of us who believe that we would be encouraged by your word, that you would, Holy Spirit, speak to us, show us the things that we need to hear, help us, Lord, to obey what we hear. And for those of us sitting here this morning, Lord, that uh, do not yet know you, have heard your name, maybe have they've heard some stories, maybe they've even grew up in a family that believed, but they themselves have not yet believed in the Lord Jesus, I pray that they would hear the good news this morning. And we know that faith comes by hearing. And so may the word of Christ go out in this place. Holy Spirit, may you do your work, draw those to yourself that that, uh, that belong to you, Lord. I pray that by your Holy Spirit that uh, we would proclaim your name in this place. We would worship you in the ministry of the word. Thank you so much, Lord, for your church, for your people. Thank you for the ordinance of baptism. That when we obey this, Lord, we are professing your name to the world, to our, our, our families, to our church body, Lord, and ultimately we are obeying you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read together. Uh, last week I got so into the, the text and uh, into the message that I forgot to finish the last part of the, of, the, of the text we were supposed to do last week. So we'll just kind of, as a previously in, in the Exodus type of thing, we'll, we'll just kind of recap the, the last section and then move through to the end of chapter 14. Uh, let's start in verse 13. It says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which, will, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through on the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So we see this, this purpose. Why is God doing this? Why did he lead the Israelites uh, to this um, different section of the desert. Why did he take them south instead of north? And we, we already saw that he was protecting them, but he also had a purpose. He, his judgment was not complete yet on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. His, he wanted to receive glory. He's, he wants to gain glory to receive, to get glory from Pharaoh. He repeated this multiple times. This is important to the Lord. Verse 19, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of the Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the, and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So remember the pillar, that's the pillar of cloud and fire, uh, one pillar and, and the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself speaking out of this pillar. Um, we'll, we'll see in a minute, he's, he's clearly with them, his presence is with them in this pillar. And so he moves from before them to behind them. He tells them to go forward. He's protecting them. He's, he's providing a, a smoke screen, if you will. They, 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 they can't do anything unless God allows them to do it. Once again, proving his sovereignty over everything. He's in control of all of this, right? And so this is nighttime, so it lit up the night, so the, the Israelites have the, 
the, the blessing of fire, of light, they can see, and there's darkness. Once again, that division, God is making a distinction between his people and his enemies. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud, so the Lord's there, the Lord's in the pillar of fire and cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. That word through there actually means to shake off. If you think of just God shaking off the Egyptians, that's how easy it is for him. Verse 28, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. And so our title for this morning is simply, Believe in the Lord. He is giving Israel no reason not to believe and not to trust in him. He's done everything for them throughout this entire Exodus story all the plagues, and then bringing them out with a powerful hand, a mighty hand, an outstretched arm. God's been faithful this entire time. And so they should be believing in God. But they, like all of us, knew in their faith they are a, a young son of the Lord. Right? He's, Israel is, is God's firstborn son, but they're young. And there's a, there's a progressiveness to faith. As we step forward, as we walk forward, God shows himself faithful, and then we, we trust him more, right? And we continue to walk. And, and when we have moments of doubt, when we start to wonder if God's really with us, we remember what he's done. We remember that there's, there was 40 bucks in a backpack way back when, right? I, if you think through, I, I love that Derek shared that story. If you think through all of the financial blessings that have come your way, it probably happened, all the great stories happen, what? When you're poor, you don't have much, right? When what? Because you, what? You're relying on him. I remember we were in seminary and we we were going to a local church church's food bank to get food because we just didn't have anything and we needed some money and there was an envelope taped to our door with, with a few hundred dollars in it and stories like that over and over again. Why? Because we needed to rely on God and then He shows Himself faithful every time. And so we remember those stories, and that should give us faith to then walk in light of that, that God is true, he's faithful, his promises are good, we shouldn't fear. And so that's what he's asking his people to do, by walking through a sea on dry ground. And so for those of you who, who maybe, as you're reading the story, you're looking at maps, you're looking at the atlases in the back of the Bible, or maybe doing your own study, as far as the actual 
the journey of the Exodus, where do they actually walk? And there's, there's usually multiple paths because we don't know exactly where some of the locations were. We have the region and the general direction, which is all we really need. Um, but as, as far as what was the sea that they actually walked through, if you study this and you're looking in your Bibles and there's little notes and it says that the literal translation of the Red Sea is actually the Reed Sea, the Sea of Reeds, Yam Suf, S-U-P-H, actually means reed or end, so it could be in the, 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 the reed sea or the sea at the end of the earth. Um, there's, there's no contradiction here. If you look at your atlas, the Red Sea has two kind of northern arms off of it, right? And on this side, this is the actual side you'd be looking at, on the northwest arm, it's called the Gulf of Suez, um, uh, that reaches up, that's part of the Red Sea, and then above that there's a bunch of lakes called the Bitter Lakes, and so some would say if it's a reed sea, there needs to be marsh, there needs to be papyrus, and just like the reeds that you would see coming out of a marshland or lake area. And so it really wasn't the Red Sea because um, of, of the, the actual um, translation. And so the translation has changed over the years. The Septuagint, the Latin Vulgate, they use the Red Sea. But um, the Reed Sea is the proper translation. Is that a contradiction? Well, no. There's, whether it was a large lake... Um, or whether it was uh, the Gulf of Suez, the actual extension, the northwest extension of the Red Sea, it needed to be a large enough body for over 2 million Israelites to pass through over the course of one night, and for an entire Egyptian army, the chariots and horses, to also start to pass through as well. And so a lot of uh, archaeologists and oceanographers, geographers, they actually believe that during that time, like many other land masses and, and water areas, um, in ancient times, that the, 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 the Red Sea, which extended through its arm of the Gulf of Suez, actually probably extended further north. So maybe some of those bitter lakes are remnants of the sea that had extended further. Regardless of that, there was marshland, there was, there was, there was reeds, but there was enough water for the, the Israelites to pass through. Um, so that's just something if you've been reading and looking at maps and if you see what is the Reed Sea versus Red Sea, I've had a few people say, make comments about that. That's essentially what's taking place. Ultimately, there was a body of water and God supernaturally divided the water and his people walked off across on dry ground. And that's incredible and amazing, right? And so there's, there's three reasons why, um, the Israelites believed in God at the end of this, this part of the story, and three reasons why we should also be believing in God for what he says he's going to do. The first one, as we read through this, is that God makes a way when there is no way. God makes a way when there is no way. This is, this is the story of the underdog, right? God's never the underdog, but his people are, and he likes to put them in places of underdogness. That's a word, right? He likes to put them in places where they can't do anything except for trust him. That without his help, without his intervention, uh, they would certainly fail. They would certainly die. And the same thing's taking place here. And I think that's why we're drawn, if we're students of the Bible at all, but just as human beings, I, I think we inherently know we can't, we keep trying, but we can't save ourselves. Every time humans try to solve the problem that humans create, we just create more problems, Right? It's just all, it's what we do. And so I think when we read books and we watch movies and even our sports teams, right, we, we're looking for that underdog story. We're looking for that kind of overcoming story. We're, we're drawn to that. There's something about um, the impossible odds, the arrogant opponent who, 
who, who mocks and who kind of flashes their, their prominence over the underdog, and we just want them to lose, right? As a Steelers fan, that was the New England Patriots for the last several decades, right? So we all have something like that. We, we have a team, we have a story, we have a hero, we have, we have something where... I've watched, I've watched the Rocky movies. I'm a child of the 80s and 90s action film genre and watched the, the Rocky movies, all 30 of them, like millions of times, right? Rocky IV came on. Um, I, my son asked me the other day, how many are there? I was like, oh, he keeps adding more. So I'd have to see how many there are. But Rocky IV was on. I was just flipping through and... And it was right at the beginning of the of the final fight scene, so that's awesome, right? Usually, I like to get the training montage before, and you know that whole contrast. But that's that's the storyline is set up that way, right? Rocky's the underdog. It's the David Goliath story. Even the camera angles show Rocky like down here, and Drago's way up here, and and it's it, that's the story that this it it. it charges us, it fires us up, it gets us engaged. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. I've seen the story a million times and I know who wins. It doesn't matter though. There's something about it when this impossible, this giant, this, this Drago, this machine, right, who's been trained, perfectly genetic specimen has been trained and Rocky's this, this little nothing underdog. And when, when Drago is, is pounding on a medium and that first punch when Rocky hits him and he's cut, right? And then the, the scene goes to slow motion and the, the Russian stun and the crowd is silenced and Rocky's excited and his, his corners yelling, like, go after him now. There's something about that, that first stone that is slung by David, right? And, and Goliath is, is no longer a threat. There's something about it that we inherently are drawn to. And this is exactly the situation that the firstborn son of Yahweh is in, that, that Israel is in this place of completely being the underdog. They are, God has placed them against the sea. They are against water. There's no way out. They're looking at this water as their grave, essentially, because this marching army is coming after them, and they hate them. Because of these people and because of their God, they lost their firstborn son. They lost their entire economy. Their entire nation is destroyed. And so this, this nation's coming out. They've got nothing but desert around them. They're done. They're trapped. They're completely helpless. And what does God say? He says, what are you, what are you crying for? Just go forward. Because right? God already sees the way. He already knows what's going to happen. He, once again, he's gone before them. And he tells Moses, raise up your hands and, and watch what I do. And the water parts, and they walk across on dry ground. And the dry land piece here is... is is stated multiple times, verses 21, verses 22, verses 29. There's something about God, that, that something about this story that God wants us to remember, that his people walked across on dry ground. They didn't have to stand there and wait for the, the tide to come in and just hope they would drift across. They didn't have to wait for a boat to magically show up. The guy didn't have a bunch of floaties sitting there with a bunch of guys trying to get this on their arms, right? There wasn't anything weird like that. It was just God made the way. He just said, "What? I'm going to make this dry ground, which is impossible, Right? But not for God. He made a way when there was no way. And we see this throughout uh, the Old Testament as God keeps reminding his people. I'll read for you a few sections. But ultimately, the, the principle here is that God always, he always saves his people out of the waters. He, he pulls them out of the miry bog, out of the miry clay, he sets their feet firmly on dry ground, sets their feet firmly on a rock, that we always have footing. That God always equips us and gives us what we need. Isaiah 51, verse 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. 
Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We see this amazing picture. We talked about the, the, the joy of the coming Christ as we celebrate Christmas soon. And there's always this thing when God saves his people and makes a way when there is no way. There's singing, there's dancing, there's joy. Right? Because there's a desperate situation and there's nothing we can do about it. And in the same way, because of our sin, we have rebelled against God. We are enemies of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And we've talked about this through the story of the Passover, that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We, we as sinners, we are enemies of God. We live in darkness. And the wrath of God is still on us. And if we die in our sins, we will be judged and we will be sent to an eternal place of fire. We'll be sent to hell which is complete separation from God for eternity. It's a place of suffering. It's, a, it's because of a, of a righteous God and his holy judgment. And we've talked about the doctrine of God and who he is, and God is completely fair and good and right and just to do this. But the same fair and right and good God has made a way for us through Jesus Christ. He didn't just leave us there. God could have very easily allowed his people to drown in that sea And he would have been a just God for doing so because all of Israel were sinners, just like the Egyptians. But he chose to make a way for his people and to judge his enemies. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, God has made a way. He has has bridged the gap. He has provided dry ground for us to walk across on, to go from death to life, from a life of bondage to a life of freedom. And that's why this story is amazing. It's It's the entire gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ really foreshadowed for us. And so we see, we see other places too. Psalm 40. I love Psalm 40, a Psalm of David. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And I love this picture of David crying out to God, but waiting patiently at the same time. It was an act of waiting. His heart was reaching to the Lord actively. Lord, please help me. He had no one else except for God to save him. In verse two, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. This is what God does. And what's the response? He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Psalm 18 is another one. And this is all just to praise the Lord because this is what he does. God saves. He makes a way when there is no way. Psalm 18, verse 16. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Beautiful pictures of God rescuing, delighting, making dry ground for us to walk across. And so God makes a way when there is no way. The second reason they believed is because God removes their fear and increases their faith. God's the author and the perfecter. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. God is the, the one who gives us faith, and it's all based on what he does. 
if we look at verse 13, back in Exodus 14, verse 13, you'll see that, uh, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. But what do they see before that? In verse 10, they saw, they lifted up their eyes, and they saw the Egyptians coming, right? And what do they do after they saw this, this army marching toward them, knowing they had no escape? They feared greatly. They feared greatly. We talked last week, we're, we're to fear not. And what changed here? How, what changed that all of a sudden there are people of faith? Because in Hebrews, we know that the people crossed on dry ground by faith. They're part of the hall of faith. What, what changed? What, what happened here? Well, God instilled in them faith because he began to move and do his miracles. But by the end of this, we see a belief that came because they saw what God could do. At the end of verse 31, Israel saw, actually, we'll go back up to verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord now, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. So they went from viewing and watching this great army and looking and, and, and worrying and, and, and doubting, and, and then God's doing this great thing, and they had to have faith. They had to have faith. They had to step on the, on the dry ground. So I, I guess at this point, I don't know who went first, right? But you're, you're standing there. Moses is holding his arms up. He's like, is, arms, is he going to keep his arms up? What if his arm starts to go down and one wall starts happening? I don't know. But remember, it's nighttime. They have fire from the pillar that is lighting their way. But this is completely in the middle of the night. It wasn't until morning that God brought the waters back over the Egyptians. So they're walking through a sea on dry ground, which has never been done before. And if, I mean, they've been, they've been part of the Egyptian infrastructure. And uh, I, I don't know if I'd trust the, drown, the, the, the ground to be dry. You're, it's, it should be marsh-like. It should be muddy. It should be clay. And, and, but God can make a way anywhere, right? We know at the end, God makes paths of streets made out of gold that are translucent. They're so pure. And so in, in our regard, we think, well, can God really do this? Of course he can. We're used to, we can't even make roads on dry ground here, right? Our roads are terrible all the time. But God can make a road anywhere. And he did, in the depths of the sea. And so can you imagine taking that first step into this sea? And there's, there's a, literally there's a wall, a wall of water on your right and your left. And of course, my imagination starts to wonder, what are the kids doing? What are people like me doing? Are you, are you kind of putting your hand in there? Are you trying to see if you can grab stuff? Are you, like, how does that work, right? Walking on dry ground through the midst of the sea. It would be amazing to watch this. And they were going through all night long. And so that first step is going to be the most fearful, right? Wondering, all right, we're good. Take the next step, right? Or your little brother, you go first, right? You go through and see what happens. And But we're taking a step, and then we're taking another step, and then God's right there, and his, he's lighting up the way, and we're walking through. And just how amazing would that be? And as you continue to take steps, and you continue to see those walls firmly established of water on either side of you, which you've never seen before, you begin to maybe wonder and think about, oh, yeah, remember what God did in, in Goshen when, when he, he brought all the plagues, but in, in our land there was there was none of them? That there was complete and total darkness, and we had light, and there was all these, there was flies and gnats, and we, we didn't have any of that. And they're recalling, and they're praising, and they're worshiping because they're they're growing in their faith, and they walk through on dry ground. And so, for us, I, I just want us to be encouraged this week to to go and remember remember the dry ground that God has has provided for us. Obviously, the the biggest um, 
the biggest escape, the, the salvation that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, eternal life with God. We remember that, but, but God also provides a way for us to walk in this world until he brings us home. And when we think we're sinking, when we think there's, there's no hope, even as David kind of cries out, God always lifts us up. He protects us. He provides sure footing. So what is your dry ground this week? How have you seen the salvation of the Lord being exercised in your life? Because you belong to him. He's your God. You are his child, his beloved child. I think sometimes God's providing the dry ground. We just don't know it. We're just enjoying the sure footing many, many days without even realizing it. But here's the key to how their fear really turned into faith and ultimately just more of a fear in God and not in man. They, they, were, they were seeing things with their eyes, right? And then they saw what God can do. And Psalm 77 has an interesting um, perspective on this, very poetic in its language, but I love um, uh, maybe a little bit more detail. Most commentators believe and contextually based on um, the fact that he's talking about his redeemed people, the children of Jacob, and then leading his people like a flock by the hand of Moses, that this is about the, uh, the exodus um, toward the end here, if not just a um, general principle of what God does. But Psalm 77, the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. And so the beginning of the psalm is really a lot of our hearts throughout maybe a, a general week, the things that we've been going through. There's a lot of trouble. We wonder if God even hears us anymore. Is God really there? Is he going to help us? And maybe for those few moments or however long it took Moses to raise his hands as the army was marching, people wondered, where is our God who did all this? There's the pillar. What, why is he not doing something? Psalm 77. I'm just going to read through this. It's, uh, I think it's helpful for us. It says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has the steadfast love forever ceased? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time. This is important because we, we don't say these exact words, but we say these words, right? When, when we doubt, when we fear, when we start to question God, God, are you really there? I'm tired. I, 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 don't, I can't sleep. I, all I have is, is you, but you don't seem to be listening to me. My prayers seem to be hitting the ceiling and nothing's happening and everything's falling apart, Lord. Are you still there? Are you going to spurn me forever? Did I do something wrong? When again are you going to be favorable in my, in, in my cause, Lord? Has your steadfast love forever ceased? Or your promises at an end for all time? That's a great question to ask. If we ask ourselves that, Lord, are your promises dead? Are you, of course not. So then we, we answer our own question and we receive faith by the Holy Spirit when we begin to ask these questions in the middle of the night. So the, the psalmist is just being honest. I think sometimes we just need to be honest with the Lord and talk to him about this. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Verse 9. Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds, remembering those dry ground moments, how God set you on a rock, how he provided for you. 
I will remember. We remember them based on our testimony, what God has done. We remember because we read God's word and he reminds us of who he is. This is who I am. Of course he's gracious. Of course he's faithful. Of course his promises are good. And you see the change in the psalmist here from verse 12? After he ponders, after he meditates on God's word, his mighty deeds, what happens next? Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So we're remembering what God has done. And the first thing we do when we remember is we worship because of this great holy God. This is amazing what you've done, Lord. You are amazing, Lord. And all of a sudden, our problems become less and less. Our eyes are taken off of the, of, of the impossible situation. Our eyes are taken off of the, the sea that is impassable. Our eyes are taken off of this army that is marching that is, that is going to destroy us. And our eyes are firmly placed on the Lord, our God. And we know that he can save us because he redeemed his people. Verse 16, I love this. So the, one of the very things that is scaring the people, that is, the people are afraid of, is this watery grave, this impassable sea, right? They are afraid of the water. Look what verse 16 says. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. <laughs> so the waters were afraid of God because the waters are God's creation. They will obey him. So the people are afraid of, of this trapped scenario, and yet the waters were the one, the water's the one, the deep, the water's the one that trembled when they, when they saw God. The deep trembled. I love that. The clouds poured out. And here's some things we don't know. God created a panic. He created a panic in, in the nation of Egypt as they were going after. So what does that panic look like? We've seen different instances in, in scripture where God creates a panic and, and armies begin to fight themselves and they run around in fear. Perhaps this was part of the panic. It's not described in Exodus 14, but it could be part of that. It says, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. At the end of the psalm, the psalmist is settled on this faithful God who can save. That he did all of this and the enemy could not stop him. And so that he is secure, he is safe with the Lord. God removes our fear. Even the mighty forces of nature that are outside of our control are under God's control. That should bring us peace with all these things. And this reminded me of the story in Matthew 14 of the disciples getting into the boat and starting to go across. And they're having a tough time rowing. There's wind, there's waves. And, and Jesus, um, maybe there's not a boat around. Maybe he just feels he's taking a nice walk. He's just walking on the water, right? And he's walking, got to be walking past them and they see him and they're frightened. And he says, you know, it's I, do not be afraid. And, and what does Peter say? Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out to you on the water. And, and Jesus says, come. And so, Peter starts walking on the water toward his Savior, toward Jesus. And then what happens? When does he start to doubt? When he looks, right? He hears Jesus' voice. Jesus tells him to come. And he has faith and he believes and he starts walking. But once he saw the wind and he sees what's happening and he realizes where he's at, he begins to sink, right? Save me, Lord. You have little faith. And Jesus pulls him up and they get in the boat together. And then as soon as they get in the boat, what happens? The wind stops, that wind was just for Peter. It's just for us. The, we, we complain against all the, the forces that come against us, but they're to teach us, to help us, to discipline us, to, to create dependence because God wants to be our God and, and we are to be his people. We can't be his people if we're doing our own thing, building our own little kingdoms everywhere. And so we depend on him. 
And so God removes our fear, increases our faith. And I would encourage you, if there's some area in your life that you are fearful when it comes to walking with the Lord, if he wants you to step out, and you know that because you keep ignoring it, and he keeps reminding you, this is who you are. This is the gift that I've given you, and I want you to serve my people, and I want you to serve me using this gift. I want you to step I want you to have this conversation with your family member or with your neighbor. I want you to share the love of Christ with them. I want you to serve your church in this way, and you're going to be completely scared, and that first step into the sea is going to be a big one. And you're going to wonder if the walls are going to come crashing down on you. You're going to feel a little splutter or a little wet, and you're going to start to step back a little bit, thinking, oh, it's, it's, it's not, this isn't good. This isn't going to work. But it's, it's dry ground all the way through. God's provided. He, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. When you step, you're going to have greater faith when you come to the other side. And then you're going to do greater things for the Lord, not because it's you doing it, because it's Christ doing it in you. That's his promise. There's great joy when we are serving the Lord as we're called to. He doesn't call us to do things without equipping us first. But many of us just don't want to do the work involved. We don't want to sit down with our Bible and, and learn more about who he is. We don't want to ask the questions. We don't want to interrupt our schedule to go to another study or to, to meet with this person for discipleship or to serve in this capacity. And when we, when we fail to do those things, we fail to grow. Right? Peter took a giant leap. He stepped out of the boat. And as soon as he starts looking at the water, he starts to sink. But Jesus was there to pick him up. And if you feel like you're starting to sink, it's, you're, remember, you're, you're his beloved child. We would never condemn a young toddler who's learning how to walk for falling down multiple times before they make it across the room, right? What's the key for them to make it across the room? They'll keep their eyes on, on their parents, right? We have our arms out. They have their arms out. As soon as their giant head, bobblehead thing starts looking around, then they're down, right? As soon as they get distracted. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. At the end of the hall of faith, we were encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. He's, he's authored, he's, he's founded your faith. He's instilled that in you. Let him grow it and perfect it. But you gotta step out. You gotta walk. You gotta go forward, right? And so the people believed because God made a way when there was no way, and they believed because God helped move them from fear to faith. And lastly, the people believed because God ultimately was saving them and judging his enemies at the same time. It was all for his glory. God was doing both things. Psalm 106. Psalm 105 and 106 have a lot of the um, Exodus story in them. Psalm 106, verses 8 through 12 says, Yet he saved them for his name's sake. So even though the people of Israel were rebelling in disbelief, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. This is all about him. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. This, this keeps coming up again and again. This is a big deal that God made a way when there was no way. He saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy, and the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. And they believed his words, and they sang his praise. They watched this great salvation from their God, and they believed him. Not just because they were saved, because their enemies were not. Their enemies were judged. We see the, the judgment really as a very fair judgment on the Egyptians. You might recall 80 years earlier, a baby Moses who was scheduled to be drowned with all the other Hebrew babies, right? That Pharaoh had had an edict out to create, uh, essentially do infanticide, to, to drown. He wanted to control the population, this great Israelite uh, nation that was, that was growing in the midst of his own nation, even though he benefited from them economically, he was scared of them. 
And so he wanted to, to do something about it. So he wanted to use water. He decided to use the Nile and drown these innocent babies. And um, we see that God drew Moses, as his namesake says, drew him up out, out of the water. He saved him. And he provided a deliverer for his people. And so the same, in the same way, God is using water to judge the nation of Egypt. All of this army, all of the Egyptians, they are complicit with Pharaoh's edicts. They were complicit in all of what Pharaoh was doing. And so God's judging them. And there's other little components here that some commentators talk about, like when, you know, the, it was the, the final watch of the night when the Lord threw them into confusion and, and the dawn was breaking whenever they were finally drowned in the sea. And where was their sun god, Ra, right? Where if the sun is rising and the power of Pharaoh comes from the incarnation of the sun god, Ra. Where was this god to save these people? And he was nowhere to be found. But one, one thing that I found was interesting. There's an inscription that was found um, through an archaeological dig um, about Pharaoh's enemies. So Pharaoh would threaten his enemies with drowning, essentially. Um, and here's the inscription. It says, he whom the king loved will be a revered one. So if you love Pharaoh, he'll love you back. Easy enough, right? But there is no tomb for a rebel against his majesty, and his corpse is cast into the water. Now, this might not seem like a big deal, but if you remember the significance of burial, of being properly embalmed, and, and, and encased in a sarcophagus and having all the things you need for the afterlife and being entombed properly. There was, it was a big deal in Egypt to have a tomb. And Pharaoh would threaten his enemies by not providing a proper burial. They, their, their corpses would be cast into the water, left to nature, left to decompose on their own. And in the same way, God has, has drowned the entire Egyptian army and the bodies are on the shore. And they don't have a tomb and they don't, they don't have a final resting place. There was a, there was a final judgment that was just interesting, um, related to the gods of Egypt. Remember, this is, God's completing his work of judgment, even as he's completing his work of salvation. And we see the same thing happening on the cross of Christ, that, that Christ completed his work. He said, it is finished. And he has made a way from death to life. He has made dry ground for us to walk across. And he, at the same time, he has judged, he's defeated the power of sin and death. Forever. It's an amazing picture of what Christ has done for us. And the Egyptians, they finally acknowledged that God was the one fighting for them, but it was too late for them. They, when did they finally acknowledge that God was the one fighting, that they should get out of there? When did they acknowledge when the judgment was just about to be complete? When God's judgment came on them, that is when they acknowledged. And we know that in the end, every knee will bow, right? Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And, and for those who who will bow their knee and confess Jesus' Lord in, in their own judgment as they die in their sins, it's too late for them. There's no escape now. But for those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Christ from the dead, they, they are saved. We are God's people. We are saved that the wrath of God will pass over us because of the blood of the Lamb. And we have that safety. We have that security. We have that hope in Jesus Christ. He will come again and he will restore all things to himself. We will live with him forever. That's, that's the hope of glory. That's why we um, come here and we worship and we celebrate. We corporately worship our Lord and we walk as his people in this world and we await for him to return. And until then, we have a commission. We have to go out and make disciples of all nations. Right? And we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we command them to, we, we help them to do everything that God, Jesus, commanded us to do. That's our work. That's why we're here. We're not here just to sit on the bench, kind of waiting for the bus to arrive. <laughs> we, have, we have work. Even in the midst of COVID, we actually still have work to do. We have a mission to do. And God will do this work if we're just faithful.
And so for those of you this morning who don't know Jesus, you've heard the good news. The bad news is that, that you're a sinner and the wages of sin is death, but the, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. We are to hear this good news and believe in the Lord by faith, and then we are to confess Jesus as our Lord and walk with him. We trust and obey him. And there's nothing else like it in the world. As much as we try to consume and entertain and save ourselves and get little snippets of, of um, earthly happiness or maybe we're just numbing the pain more than anything, there's nothing of joy in this world apart from Christ. There's nothing. And so when we come here in a week and a half on Christmas Eve and we sing songs and we, we talk about this Lord Jesus coming to earth to save us, this is a big deal. This is God's mighty work of salvation. This is something to be remembered. Obviously, it's something to be received. So if you don't know Jesus this morning and you'd like to make that confession, we're going to have a time of prayer in a moment where you can do that. And I'd like you to... Um, Tell myself or someone else in this body, maybe someone that brought you, that you've made that decision to believe in Christ, to follow him the rest of your life, um, because we want to help you in your journey and start you off on the right foot. Next week, we're going to be celebrating this great salvation through the Song of Moses in chapter 15. But until then, as we end this service, we're going to celebrate what God has done through the the baptism of young believers here this morning. Um, Even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, Verse 2, he says, the day, that day all of Israel were under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And ultimately, he's just making a comparison, bridging the gap, that those who followed Moses, they passed through the water, and they were initiated into this new life as God's people, under his protection in the cloud. And those who followed Jesus, who's a greater Moses, we know in Hebrews, we pass through the waters of baptism and are initiated into this new life of freedom and grace. In John five twenty four, Jesus states it well. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate um, three young believers in our congregation, uh, Taylor, Avram, and Aaron. Um, they have made professions of faith in Jesus. They have passed from death to life. And Baptism, a believer's baptism, is an outward expression of that. It is an ordinance of the Lord Jesus. He's given us two ordinances to um, um, to obey as God, as His people, as a church, to continue on until He returns. One's the Lord's Supper, and by by taking the Lord's communion together, we are remembering what He has done. We are proclaiming His death until He returns. We are also awaiting His return. We're, we're, there's an expectation, and then baptism, and in baptism we see. Um, really the symbolism, baptism does not save us, but it's a symbol of what God has already done in his salvific work. And so we see the believer going under the water, right, dying with Christ, being buried with Christ, and then being raised to new life with him. Because our life is hidden with Christ in God now. We, we are one with him, right? Christ lives in us. He indwells us by the Holy Spirit. We've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us in Galatians. So there's all these truths about who we now are now in Christ. And so we want to celebrate that together. Um, and so I would ask uh, uh, Taylor, Avram, and Aaron, if you guys want to make your way back and uh, start to get changed, and if you would all pray with me um, before our time. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. Your word always goes out in power because, Holy Spirit, you are the one that inspired your word through human authors. You're the one that illuminates your word. It makes it clear to us. You speak to us. You 
call us to yourself, Lord. And so thank you for that. And I pray that you would help us as your people to understand the things that you wanted us to hear this morning. Help us to meditate on your word, to go home, to spend time with you, to spend time in prayer. Lord, how do you want me to obey? How do you want me to walk? And for many of us, Lord, we already know because we've just been, we've been ignoring you, Father. We've been disobedient. We've chose to do things our own way, Lord. And for that, we repent this morning corporately as your people. We repent, Lord. We turn from our sin, turn back to you, the only true God. You're the only one with the words of life, Lord Jesus. There was no one else who can save. Forgive us, Lord, for being lulled to sleep, Lord, or or purposely, willfully disobeying you, Lord, for our own pleasure. Father, we repent of those things. We thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, Father. We belong to you. We are a people. We are your church. And Lord, we worship you this morning. We thank you for your great works in the life of Israel and in our life through Christ. We thank you for these young believers who are coming forward this morning. Thank you for Taylor. Thank you for Avram and Aaron as they... Um, in faith, Lord, will step into these waters and they will, um, they will confess their belief in you, their testimony before this congregation, Lord, and they will obey you in baptism. I pray you would bless them right now. You would help their hearts to uh, be calm. They would help them to speak clearly, Lord, and to um, just enjoy this moment of obedience. Father, would you increase their faith, continue to cultivate um, just their sanctification in their life, Lord, as they learn more about you, studying the word and their families, and as they come to this body, and as they are blessed with so many great teachers and volunteers and people that are coming around them to help them to be a godly woman and godly men in this world. It's so difficult, Father, but thank you so much that they've passed from death to life, and they are now free to walk as your children. Help us to celebrate with them, Lord. And I pray for anyone this morning, Father, that is here that does not yet know you. Uh, Maybe they have more questions, Father. I pray they would step forward. Please prompt them to ask. Lord, and I pray that any of them who um, are making this decision in their heart right now, they want to follow you, Lord. They, They understand their sin. You have convicted them. They see it now, Lord. They know that the only way to be saved is through Christ, and they want to make that decision. I, I just pray now, Lord, that you would, um, uh, help them in that decision, help us to walk alongside of them. And ultimately, Lord, all they need to do is confess their sin to you now, silently before you, confess their sin, confess that they believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, that they believe in you, Lord, by faith in their heart. And by doing so, Lord, they will be saved. Help them now, Father. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us as we go home this week, you would help us to remember all the moments of faithfulness in our life that you have always provided. Help us to remember, Jesus, what you did on the cross for us. Help us not to take that lightly. And even as we are busy with many things and decoration and gifts and cookies and all these fun things, Lord, help us not to forget that you truly, Lord, are the reason why we celebrate. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.